thank you for joining us on the CFF podcast. Today, Pastor Pablo Martinez will be inspiring you with a message from the Word of God. We hope you enjoy and welcome home. Awesome. Why don't we give Jesus a round of praise? Come on. I uh, want to share with you, and I'm going to jump right into the Word because um, I took a little too long on the first first uh, service, and uh, I want to get right to it. Chapter 9 of John, John chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, like a physical Bible, I invite you to buy one or to tell your leader, hey, get me a Bible, do your job. Just kidding. Um, no, to really invest into getting a, a, a Bible, a physical Bible. Um, let me show you what I'm talking about. It's in my office. Give me one second. I was going to do something funny and pretend like I'm fighting in my office with Eoni or something, you know. Anyway, so, so anyway, so um, John chapter 9, um, if you have a Bible, raise it really quick. Let me see your Bibles real quick. All right, not your phone. Or your, wow, this is, okay, good. Now we look like a church. All right, good, good, good deal. So I may be old school, but your Bible never runs out of, this thing never runs out of battery. It never breaks. Uh, you know, you may lose a page or two, but I'm telling you, it won't let you down. Um, uh, a beat up Bible is a sign of an edified life. You know, and I really would just want to encourage you guys to also be an example to the people that are around you. Uh, this is part of who we are. We are Bible-believing Christians. We're not just people that believe God exists. Demons believe God exists. We have more than demon-level faith. We have true faith. We believe the words that are written here come from God. It's not just God exists. Yes, He exists, but He's also the Lord of our lives. Amen? And what He says matters to us. It's not just an option. This is the Word of God. And so many times people say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that issue? What do you think about this new law? I don't. I go to the Word of God to see what it says. I vote according to the Word of God. I am a husband according to the Word of God. I'm a father according to the Word of God. We cannot live, I'm telling you this, without the Word of God. Someone said the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. I kind of like that acrostic. Or simply the Word of God. So what I'm going to encourage you guys to do is, like I said, get a Bible. If you don't have one, buy one, invest into it. I've told people I'd rather lose my iPad, my phone, um, than my Bible. Ten times, you know. And so I just encourage you guys, get a Bible. Is that cool? Yeah. yeah? Okay, good. In this word, <laughs> that's my sermon illustration. It's paid already, by the way. It's a ticket, and I keep it around for a reason. I'll show you guys one day. Okay, John chapter 9, yeah? John chapter 9. If you guys got it, say amen. All right, here we go. Verse 1 through 3, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Dear God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you because I know that today you will change people's lives. I ask you, Lord, that we'll be able to apply that which we learn. I, I beg you, God, that everyone in here that is being attacked by distraction or being tired, that it would be gone in the name of Jesus. God, that they can truly set their heart towards you, their mind, their emotion, their intellect, God, uh, their will will be set for you. God, change us. Make us more like you today. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. It says here that there was this man and he was blind from when? From birth. Could you imagine what it would be like 
to not be able to see ever. Like, you could hear people's voices, but you don't know what they look like. You could hear the birds, but you don't know what that beast looks like. For all you know, it looks like a lion. Does that make sense? You could hear your baby cry, and you could probably touch his face, but you could never really see the smile of your child. Imagine being able to hear, but not being able to see. Not, I see it, and then I don't see it anymore. It's, I don't have no point of reference. And so the Bible talks of this man that Jesus heals, and it's only three verses. And I wish the Bible was thicker, and I wish the Bible had many more pages with many more details so that I can show you what this man looked like. Imagine not being able to see, and all of a sudden, boom, this like ray of light breaks through your eyelids, and all of a sudden, this incredible amount of information begins to swarm your head, and you're like, whoa, and lights, and colors, and can you imagine that? What this guy must have felt like, <gasps> and the first thing he sees is the face of Jesus. Tell me that's not cool. Like, you're like, holy moly. You know what I mean? Like, that is just insane. And this guy's joy must have been incredible. But the Bible doesn't talk about that. The Bible doesn't tell you anything about the man. He doesn't tell you his name. He doesn't tell you anything about his response or reaction. If I would have written the Bible, I would have put all, I mean, all that. But God is wiser. And so God doesn't focus on that man. He focuses on the other blind people. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? There's no other blind people in this place. I beg to differ. There's other blind people there. Matter of fact, these are blind people that walked with Jesus. They were part of his team of 12. And they said, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? You see, they were only seeing things through natural eyes, not through spiritual eyes. What they saw was a sinner or someone who came from sin. What Jesus saw was the glory of God. He saw someone, this is what Jesus saw, instead of a problem, he saw an opportunity for God to manifest his works. Somebody please say amen. When God sees a problem or he sees a circumstance that's beyond our control, the Lord says, I cannot wait to manifest my glory. This is why I disciple people. This is why we do G12. Now, before you get all crazy and start looking on the internet what G12 is, don't look at the internet, look around you. These are people that love God and love people. Why do we do this? Why do I believe in someone who's so broken and pray that God will raise them up and believe? Believe that I'm part of that story. Why do I get involved in people's lives? Why should I care about the broken? Why should I care beyond my comfort for someone else? Why should I confront somebody even if they don't like me and encourage them to follow Jesus? Why? Because when I see them, I don't see a blind person, a broken person, an addict, uh, you know, a person who's messed up in their sexuality. What I see is an opportunity for the glory of God and the works of God to be manifested in that person. Can you understand that when God brought you to this world, when he brought you to this world, he brought you with an incredible purpose. The two most important days of your life are when you're born and when you discover why you're born. That's the two most important days. The day that you die, it's going to happen. And guess what? By then, you know why it's not that important? Because you won't be able to do anything about it. Like you're just going to go there or not. And that's the end of that story. Today, this morning, we got to pray for John. His father passed away yesterday. John is part of our congregation. He's part of the 12 of Frank and Alba. 
And uh, John did some beautiful things with his dad before he passed. He showed some real kindness, love, and mercy. Through this love and mercy, his father was able to come to encounter. His father was able to receive the Lord, give his life to Jesus in this ministry. Listen, I get chills just thinking about it because we just presented a brand new life, a beautiful baby, the birth. Does that make sense? And at the same time, in the service before, we were praying for strength and encouragement. Why do I tell you this? Because either in death or in life, in sickness or in health, God must be glorified. You know what happened? John decided to get his family together. Pastor, do you have a word for my family? Instead of him crumbling and breaking down, I'm not saying there's no pain. But man, he found a way to give God glory. He found a way to gather his family. We shared an encouraging word. Led them to Jesus that morning. Listen, this man, a few years ago, would never have done that ever have done that he would have crumbled he would everything but that ask him about it Anna was here his wife was representing this morning and with tears in her eyes I said are you not so proud of your husband she was sitting right there are you not as proud as your husband as I am and she completely she's like yes I am let me tell you why she can be proud of her husband and that man can be instead of the stumbling block to her family he can be the pillar of his house let me explain to you why because there was a Jesus who saw him not as a blind man who sinned or whose parents sinned, but as a, an opportunity for the works of God. The problem is not the way that God sees us. It's the way we see people. Instead of with the godly eyes, we see them with human eyes. I pray that today God expands your vision. That in this church, we don't just call ourselves Christians. That we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. Do you know the difference? A Christian is by culture. I was raised in a Christian home. I have a Christian pedigree. I went to a Christian university. I got my minor in Bible by default because you have to get it. You know, I'm part of the American Baptist board. Um, you know, like I'm the only non-gray hair in my, the meetings there. And I have, I can definitely and genuinely tell you this. All that is garbage. Garbage compared to actually knowing Jesus. All that religion, all the knowledge, all the books, all the things you can study are garbage if you don't have the eyes of Jesus. If you don't have the eyes of Christ to see other people the way he sees them, I don't care what you know about the Bible. You're not worthy. I'm going to tell you this. You're not worthy of being called a child of God. You have to have his eyes. You have to have his mind. You have to have that. Now, why do I say this such harsh words? Because a child of God has the heart of the Father. A child of God has the DNA of the Father. A child of God looks to his dad for approval as my son looks to me. You know, my son, when he does something, he's not going around looking, you know, to get likes on Facebook, see who approves of him and what he's doing. What he does is he looks at me, and if I smile, he smiles. He does something, something, and he acts like he falls. Then he looks at me, and I go, do you see what I'm saying? Like, he looks at dad and said, what do you think, dad? The joy of the Lord is my strength. You know what the joy of the Lord is? It doesn't mean that God has a bag of happiness and he gives it to you. It means that whatever brings him joy, that I'm strengthened by. That's what the joy of the Lord of my strength is. For example, I have a beautiful wife who's way too hot for me. And everything that I do, everything that I do, I can tell you this. Uh, with her and I, is so that I can please her. So that I can bring her joy as a husband. At least when, I am, at least when I'm doing good. Now, when I get selfish and self-centered, that's when I mess things up. But I can tell you this. When I see my wife happy and joyous, I am strengthened as a husband. I am walking tall. Learn from me. 
you imbeciles. You know, like, you don't know how to be a husband. Look at me. I'm like, I feel so strong. When, I'm do- when my wife is in full joy, I feel like a good husband. When your children are joyous and living life to the fullest, you're like, mm-mm. Patty, is it not true? I am such a good mama. Right? right? You see your daughter serving the Lord and enjoy. Come on. That is something beautiful. We have to draw strength from the joy of the Lord. It's not, it doesn't mean that I'm just looking to be happy. I'm trying to be happy in the Lord. I praise God, therefore I'm strong. What, what kind of theology is that? It's not that, that praising God has nothing to do with you. Whether you like it or not, feel happy or feel not, it doesn't matter. Praise is not about you, bro. Praise has nothing to do with us. We don't praise God to be happy. We praise God because he's worthy. Now, the joy of the Lord, though, comes through what? I read the entire Bible. From the time I was a junior, I was going to clubs and I was still reading the Bible. I was doing dumb stuff and I could not stop reading the Bible. Let me tell you why. Because I knew that was the truth. I was looking for all kinds of answers, having the truth right in front of me every single night. I'm going to tell you what I read in the Bible, even as a confused teenager. Even as a confused teenager, I understood, holy moly, it's not about me. As a self-centered 19, 17, and 18-year-old, I knew, whoa, this Bible does not mean I need to be happy. This Bible means this book speaks of death towards others. It talks about a Jesus who came to do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is so clear. And it has nothing to do with Him. As a matter of fact, it has everything to do with a dying world. There's a passion in my heart to share this message because if you receive it, your life will be different. I promise you. You will be bulletproof. You will be discouragement proof. Your spirituality will be fireproof. And when he tells me, we were talking about this yesterday, that there's a way, and she says that I have something that I want to share with you today if you allow me. It's this, this, this mindset that I don't care who goes, we're going, we're going. I don't care who's with me, we're going anyway. I don't care who's Who likes it, who doesn't, we're going to serve the Lord. Does that make sense? Like, if all of you here, fools, I'm just kidding. You know, I don't care. I really, I love the Lord. And if you don't love him, tough on you. You have to have a mindset that says, you know what? I'm going to see his works in this world. In your marriage, you're going to need that mindset. In your school, you're going to need that mindset. In your relationships with your own family, you're going to need that mindset. To say, I will love God regardless. I will serve God regardless. When I see people, I won't get discouraged, even if they're not changing. Do you know why? It's just another opportunity for a greater glory from God. You have to have the mindset that says, and it's a simple mindset, and Jesus was trying to teach it to his disciples. Quit trying to find the solution to the problem. Quit trying to fix this problem. Let's fix some people. Jesus wasn't trying to fix the problem and find out who was at fault. He wasn't trying to to play the blame game. Jesus was not looking someone to blame. He was looking for someone to redeem. The redemptive mindset is the greatest mindset you could ever have. The power of a conqueror in Jesus is found in a redemptive mindset. You see, Jesus was the most mature human being, right? His maturity rested on his redemptive ability. While he was at the cross being beaten, abused, completely naked, completely alone... His own people turned his back on him. He was saying, redeem them. Redeem them. Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. In all the brokenness of the world, he said, yeah, I see something better. I see the greater thing in you. You know, a lot of marriages and families and relationships, and I would say even leader-disciple relationships break down 
because we lose what Jesus had. And that is to be able to see redemption, to be able to see the work of God in people's lives. What if I told you today that you could bulletproof your marriage, you could fireproof your marriage, you could fireproof your relationships with people that you love by simply looking at them and having this mindset. Not spiritual blindness, but spiritual sight. Having down-the-road vision for people to say, I know what you look like right now. I could see you with my physical eyes. I'm not going to act like it's not there. I'm not going to act like you're not acting like a fool. Like you're not hurting yourself and hurting other people and being a bad advertisement for some Christianity. Does that make sense? Is that too hard? Okay, okay, good. Okay, good, good. So I'm not going to pretend like what I see is not real. It's like a person that's being abused. I'm not going to tell them stay in that house. What I am going to tell them is believe for the redemption of that person's life. Amen? It's like that person who has an addict friend that doesn't pretend like he's not doing drugs, but rather says, I know where you are now, but man, I know where you're going. Does that make sense? I can believe the work of God in your life. I can believe what God's going to do in you. What Jesus was trying to do with these guys was nothing else than what he did with his entire life. Let me explain to you this. I read the entire book of John quite a bit of times. And every time I read it, I find something new. I found something new this time. In the first chapter, this is God speaking. And he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was? God. And what's his name? Jesus. So John presents to us Jesus in a very different way than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He presents Jesus to us not from after John the Baptist. He presents Jesus to us from Genesis in the beginning. And I love that because this is what God is saying from the very beginning in the book of John. Chapter 1, he says, I see chaos, I see brokenness, I see darkness. And Jesus said, let there be light. And Jesus said, in the chaos, I see so much beauty. In the worst possible condition that this world has ever seen, where the heavens and the earth were not even split. When it was just everything was chaotic, God saw something beautiful. Did you know God saw us before the foundation of the world? The Bible says that he saw you before you were ever even born. That your embryo, his eyes saw you. This is what happened. That God saw something that was not, and he said, mm, yeah, it is. John chapter 1. In John chapter 2, this is awesome. We see this six pots. Some of you potheads are like, huh, pot, huh? Yeah, I love the sermon. All right? and he sees these six empty pots, dirty. You know, these six dirty empty pots and, and this, this, this seeming about to be a critical situation in a wedding, embarrassing for the new marriage. And instead he sees that and he says, nah, I'm going to present you the best, choicest wine this world has ever tasted. From dirty, filthy water, he sees joy. He sees something that the world could never produce. That's in chapter 2. You know, Mary knew that. Mary's like, Jesus, do it. Do whatever they do. He's like, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, 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 you will. She just walks away. <laughs> Mary's such a good mom. I love her. She's amazing. And then he just tells you, yeah, yeah, just do whatever he tells you. Just, just do it. And he's like, I said I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> and Mary just walks away. But you know why? Because Mary knew that Jesus saw things from different points of view. Right? On the third chapter of John, we find this incredible, beautiful story where this, this nuts Pharisee full of questions, a questioning Pharisee, gets some of the most beautiful answers. Like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know who heard that? 
Nicodemus. This Pharisee with a bunch of questions. He makes him the receptacle, not of his anger or wrath. or he, Instead of seeing just a questioning Pharisee, he sees a receptacle of some of the most beautiful words that you and I can ever carry. Does that make sense? Instead of saying, you're just a questioning religious man. He said, here, let me show you my love. Let me explain to you how I'm going to do this redemptive work in this beautiful universe. On chapter 4, we see where the world sees this woman on her sixth failed marriage. This Samaritan woman, this woman who, who had no reputation and honestly just sucked at being married. Instead of seeing this woman that couldn't hack it with men, she saw one of the greatest Samaritan evangelists of all times. It says that this woman went back to her town and brought the entire town to Jesus. Let me just repeat that to you so you could know what I'm talking about. Let's see. Uh, where do you live? What city? Santa Ana. Let's just pretend that you stand in front of Jesus and he's okay, now go back to Santa Ana and bring Santa Ana to me. Like all of Santa Ana. That's a lot of cholos, man. You know what I mean? Like, that's a, Santa Ana is crazy. You know, like imagine that the Lord uses you to bring your entire city, like buses, trains, people just coming to see Jesus. That's what happened with this woman of no reputation. The sixth failed marriage. No one would believe her. But all of a sudden, Jesus saw something and was like, okay, now you're a missionary. Go back. Do you know what I'm saying? Man, in the fifth chapter, I love this. But no, let's go to the fourth chapter. Where the, no, yeah? No, fourth, fifth chapter. When the world sees a 38-year-old crippling disease. Listen to what I'm telling. This man was laying next to the pool of Bethesda. Somebody hold that child. We're giving a bad example. What's up? Here's my son. That's why. Mamoli. How could I? Oh, I'm sorry. Jose. Jose. <laughs> Let's not do it anymore, though, because we're giving a bad example. Sorry. Okay, cool. So in the fifth chapter, the Lord sees something so different. You know, there's this man. He's laying by the pool of Bethesda. He f he's laying there. It says that they had this disease for 38 years, and he was just waiting for the waters to move so he can get his miracle. 38 years of a disease that no one can help him with. And the Lord sees a great opportunity for his glory. He heals this man, not with waters, but with his words. I love this story because it's here where God shows us that no disease, no matter how old it is, no matter how bad it is, the Lord can heal it. And he can get some glory. I can go down every single one of these chapters, but I'm going to do one more. Chapter 6, where the world sees a storm, the Lord sees a path to walk on and an opportunity for his glory. The world sees a storm, the Lord says, watch out. Just gonna walk on this right here real quick. I'm gonna show you what it looks like to have authority over nature. The God he says, You know natural, I know supernatural. You know what I mean? Like wherever you see a storm, ah, I could walk on that. Now, if we have that mindset, if we could see the things through the way that God sees things, can you see how your mind will change? I every single day hear people's problems. And every single day, I'm telling you, every single day, I expect God's glory in their life. Every day. How do you not get discouraged when your job is listening to people's problems? Some of you guys, pastor, I'm not a pastor, but I, that seems like it's my job too. Like, I hear that, amen. How do you not? It's simple. You don't see the problem. You see the Lord standing behind that problem. Does that make sense? Whenever you see someone that doesn't seem to be growing and changing, come on, I've already... Then you see the Lord, and you're like, okay, never mind, okay. It's going to be even better. Like, it's going to be an even greater testimony. 
when you're hard-headed, hard, you know, just stubbornness, it's just going to be just going to be glorious. It's going to be awesome. And you're going to be incredible for the glory of God. We as Christians cannot just have a pie in the sky Christianity where we're not involved in people's lives. Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. A smarter man than me said it. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the greatest theologians of our times. And I know why he said it. Oswald Sanders said it in a very similar way. So many greater men, Tozer said it very similarly. Every one of these men spoke of this direct connection with people. See, Jesus brought his 12 and showed them this man. He allowed the miracle to happen in front of these people. Not so that they would be amazed, but so that they would believe what he believed. We think that God, for some reason, wants to amaze us with his miracles and his wonders. He doesn't care about amazing you. He wants you to join him. Who cares about your amazement? People are going to hell. It's not about you being amazed. It's about you being involved. You can join something. It's not about joining. It's about doing. I joined the church. I don't care if you joined. We don't have membership in this church. People keep asking us, how many members do you have? I don't have members. We don't have a card. You don't get, you know, you're a sign-up member. There's no membership. You either do it or you don't. That's simple. I don't think Jesus went around and told the 12, so uh, here's your 12 card. Peter, uh, it's yours. Hey, Judas, give me, th give me the 12 card back. You don't deserve the 12 card anymore. You have lost your membership to this team. He's either you do it or you don't. You obey the Lord or you don't obey the Lord and your life will show it. It's that simple. Yet somehow, someway we think very American. This ain't Costco. This ain't Sam's Club. This is the church. You either obey the Lord or you don't. And Jesus did something in a simple way. He had people around him. He walked with them, not to amaze them, but to form them in the likeness and image of God. Discipleship is simple, simply this. Believing someone can be restored enough to be involved in the process. That's discipleship. I believe enough. Alex, can you stand up for a second? You're my go-to guy. I love Alex Dominguez. I am involved in your life. Give him a round of applause. I'm involved in your life. Because I believe in the restorative work of God in you. Does that make sense? JC, can you please stand up? Remain standing, Alex. I believe... The work of God in your life. Even when you don't, I will always believe it. And that is why I'm involved in your life. Does that make sense? Frank is from the previous service, so he's not here. Louis, can you please stand up? I believe in the restorative work of God in your life. When I see you, I'm telling you, I see God's work, God's workmanship all over your life. I can believe, therefore, I am involved in your life. Christian, please stand up. Remain standing, Louis, please. Remain standing. I believe, uh, it's really hard with you, but no, I'm just kidding. No. I believe God's work in your life. Does that make sense? I believe so much that I'm willing to be a part of it. Does that I want to be a part of God's restorative work. Amen? Colin, please stand up. To me, it's not a burden to be a part of your life. Never. It will never be a burden. No matter what, let's go through it together. Because I believe in the restorative work of God in your life. Does that make sense? Anyone on my 12, anyone else here from my team of 12? Where are you at? Marcos. Marcute. Ah, oh, man, that beard. I believe in the restorative work of God in your life. I do. I believe in the process. I believe what God is doing in you. When I see you, man, I'm and I don't mean it just like I'm just trying. You know I mean it 
When I see you, man, I see an incredible husband. I see a man who, in spite of all your dumb decisions you've made in your life, man. Woo! So many. Woo! Lord! But I believe what God is going to do in you. Does that make sense? I still, I should sing a song. I still believe. Does that make sense? Any other one of my men 12 in this place? Michael back there. Mikey. Man, we, I believed and I still believe and I will continue to believe in what God will do in your life. I can see it happening already. It's exciting. I believe it, man. When I see you, Elaine and Hannah Grace, if I wasn't me, I would cry. Like, I would want to cry. You know what I mean? Like, it's amazing what God's done in your life. I believe in the restorative work of, of God in your lives. Does that make sense? Is there anyone on my 12? Jared, please stand up. Yeah. Man, you come a long way. We come a long way. You guys don't probably know this, but Jared, man, woo, Jared, we go way back. I believed in the beginning, and I still believe, and I'll continue to believe to the end. Man, what God's done with you already, it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you, because you make it easier for me to believe for the rest of these guys. <laughs> I believe in the continued work of God in your life. Does that make sense? Am I missing anyone my 12 here? Peter, Peter, where's he at? Pedro. Is he breastfeeding? <laughs> Just kidding. All right, all right. So I believe... In Peter's work, restorative work, does that make sense? I wholeheartedly believe, therefore, we're involved in them and their marriage. We're involved in their lives. Don't tell me you believe in the restorative work of God in people's lives if you don't want to get involved. Don't tell me you believe God can do something great and not want to be a part of it. I don't understand that kind of Christianity. You know why I don't understand it? Because I tried to excuse it for about 20 years of my life and it never worked. All my excuses came back to the same dumb thing. Um, I'm busy. I'm not busy for you. 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 I'm full of life. My life is full, not busy. There's a difference. People are busy. I'm not busy. We're full with what? To see the work of God in people's lives. Have a seat, guys, for just a second. Why do I say this right now? Because this is church. This is not a religious factory. There's religious factories where all they generate is religion. Religion is in one sense pure, in the other sense the worst enemy of Christianity. In these verses, all I see is a Jesus who sees brokenness and says, let's do something about it. Hey guys, what do you guys see? I always see uh, sin. No, I don't see sin. I see a future. I see hope. You know, I see the end of a cycle. I see something so beautiful. When this guy opens his eyes, go with me to that scene for just a second. I mean, oh, his life, everything he sees, and the first thing is the face of Jesus. Right after he sees Jesus, he's just like I thought he would be. And then he looks around and he looks at these guys like, who are you guys? <laughs> Does that make sense? And he sees his team and he's like, how do I get one of those? <laughs> like, how do you do that? The first thing he understands of Jesus is that he wasn't alone. That Jesus had a team, people around him that he worked with. If Jesus needed a team, what makes you think you can do it alone? I'm just wondering, because it's a real question. I, I want to know the psyche of the stupefied mind of a Christian for a long time. What makes you think that if Jesus had to form a team, and I said had to. You know why he had to? Because he didn't die at the age of 18. He didn't die at the age of 19. Jesus didn't die at the age of 20. His redemptive power would have been the same at the age of 9 as at the age of 33 and a half. 
Why did Jesus die at the age of 33 and a half? Because at the age of 30, he now was bona fide as a rabbi. According to the Jewish law, 30 years and up, then you could be a rabbi. Ask the smart people. After that, he went looking around to form people. Who was he forming? His disciples. Oh, he fed the multitudes, but he began forming people. Why? Because he understood he didn't want to just be a legend. He needed a legacy. Big difference. Big difference. Big difference. You cannot be a Christian legend. You need a legacy. We need to know that when we see people, we see legacy. Come on. I need to be a spiritual parent. I need spiritual children. There's a big difference in a Christianity without real faith in people. Because then you have excuses. I have so many excuses on why I shouldn't be involved and pray for people. You know, after I do sometimes in some of these tough counseling meetings, I bend my knees and I start praying for people. When I don't have answers, when I'm talking to you and I don't seem to have an answer, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, speak through me. Shut my mouth. You speak. You speak. I don't have the luxury to be selfish when I'm discipling people. Do you get that? When you become a parent, let me just say it like this. When you become a parent, it becomes apparent how selfish you are. I'm going to repeat that. When you become a parent, it becomes apparent how selfish you really are. You think you're giving until you're super tired. You don't want to give anything. You're like drooling. You don't want to get up. And you look at your husband and you look at, why don't you get up? You, you get up. You thought you were such a great husband and you're pushing the other person to go and get up. You think you're giving until you have nothing else to give. And then you're asked for a little bit more. And then you give a little more. And then you realize, oh, I got to kill this selfishness in me if I want this thing to work. Spiritual parenting is the same way. We're all wonderful Christians until someone gets close enough to see you as a spiritual parent. And then you start looking at them like, wait, you mean you, you tell me to do my devotion, but you're not doing your devotion? Oh, no, no. Do as God says. Uh-uh. You're my spiritual parent. Show me what you've got. One of my disciples said, Pastor, I can't really read the Bible, and so... That's why I use, you know, the phone, the audio thing. I said, bring a Bible with you anyway. Why? Because your children see you. And if your children see you carry a Bible, that becomes part of their identity. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. It's not what I say. It's what I do. Spiritual parenting has no choice but grow you. It gets you out of your comfort zone. Everyone I've talked to, every Christian I've spoken to, please listen. If you think the sermon is for you, it is. <laughs> I told one day this guy, I said, you're not that important, bro. I don't make my sermons just for you. Like, I don't pray there and think, what is this person going to think of the sermon? Please, God, speak to them. Like, I don't do that. If I did, I'd not qualify to be up here. Does that make sense? But this message should impact us. And if it is, let the Lord speak. Now, if it's out of me, please disregard it. But if you believe this is biblical, to give your life for the sake of others, that others would be saved, that others would know Jesus better. A lot of people lose their faith in Christ because they're not exercising it. Okay, so the best way to exercise Christian faith is by being Christ-like. Christ came to this world, died, so I'm telling you to die, and then get disciples. So that you don't have to be a legend, but you could be a legacy. The reason why many people's faith begins to dwindle is because they're not exercising it. I tore my ACL about two months ago. Here's my physical therapist. We're doing great. Check it out. So anyway, so the hardest part about that was not the pain when it tore. Like my knee, my leg went like sideways. Tap, tap. Marcos heard it pop. I was like, ah, oh, I broke bones, teeth, all that. But this was the worst part of all. Listen, the worst part of this was not the breaking. It's now being having something called muscle atrophy. Is that what am I right? 
atrophy of muscles? Like atrophy where your muscles just begin to, what happens, Paige? They shrink. They become little. So I would look at my legs, and one's like a chicken leg, and the other one's like an ostrich. You know? That <laughs> one's huge mongoose, right? And then I'm looking at this leg, and I'm like, Paigey was like, flex this muscle. I was like, which one? This one. I was like, you mean this one? No, this one. I would try to flex, and this thing went, ding. <laughs> I was like, it used to be a muscle there. And now it's not there. It's like dissipated. And so I tried to run the other day in the airport because the airplane was leaving us, and I felt like I had pain where there used to be a muscle. I was like, why is it not running? It's not working the same way. The knee wasn't the painful part. Is that all of a sudden, the unexercised muscle was no longer there when I needed it. Faith works the exact same way. We say we have faith. Show me. Show me faith. I got faith in God. Okay. How easy it is. This is why the disciples Oh, man, this is why Jesus, when the paralytic was brought down, you know, from, the, from the, the roof, he said, what's easier, guys, to say your sins are forgiven or to say to this paralytic, get up, pick up your pallet and walk? Why do you guys think Jesus said that? Oh, because it's easy to believe forgiveness. It's, it's dished out to somebody. Oh, yeah, God forgave him. Let's walk now, baby. Let's walk. Oh, now the walking of that man, all those Pharisees were praising God. Revival broke out in that packed out house. Do you know why? Because it was the walk, not just the talk. This is what happens in a Christian home, in a Christian home where people walk in the gospel is very different than a home where people talk about the gospel. I know this. I know this because I was raised Christian, because I went to church, and man, my stepdad was a pastor at a very religious church. We couldn't even clap. We had to wave a little hanky to say amen. You know, the drums were of the devil, and so was the piano. We had to use the organ. We could not use the green hymn book. It was the red one. That's how religious we were. We could not do anything else but that. And I saw that, and I was like, wait, that doesn't seem like the gospel. But then I saw a guy who seemed so natural, so normal, that played sports, and yet he was loving people back to life. And I realized that's much more godly than all the hymns I've ever sang. Do you know why? Because it's work. We actually not just, we don't just love God, we walk with him. We work with him. So today I'm going to invite you to do something. This message has been very, very practical. But it's going to be very simple to do this. If this message, somebody told me that a great sermon, I said, you know, how many good points should it have? And uh, at least one. <laughs> one good point. This should be one good, simple point. When you see problems, even death, like John experienced with his own father yesterday, let God get some glory. Find a way to get God, get, man, get some glory, God. Whatever is going on right now, whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm thinking, in my debt, I can't seem to pay this, but God, get some glory, please. Get some glory. When Eoni and I decided to be pastors here, these chairs were not these chairs. They were benches, and they were wooden. Some of you guys might remember them. Most of you were not here. Raise your hand if you never sat on those wooden benches. Raise your hand. Wow. Okay, that's pretty much most of you. Uh, raise your hand if you did sit on those wooden benches. Wow about seven of you eight of us okay good so what you don't know is that those wooden benches were our first act of faith as pastors in this church Nadia and Doris and them they might remember I was standing up here and I said 
God's going to give us some nice cushiony chairs next week for God to, for us to sit on them. And then everybody was like, all eight people were like, amen. You know? <laughs> no, no, I think we were excited, you know. But then as soon as the service ended, we came to the simple realization that there was no money in the church account. And so Naomi and I looked at each other and we're like, well, how much do we have in our own account? And so our savings account were there. Now, the funny thing is that our savings account wasn't even a third of the amount of that each chair. Each chair is like about 50, 60 bucks. Now, I'm telling you this story, listen, because I had already said the words. I said, yeah, we're going to do this. And then now reality settled in. I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> well, well, now I said it. Now I'm going to you know, make God a liar because I already committed. Most of us won't commit to Jack because we don't have the intention to do it. Most of you say, well, I'm not going to say it until I'm ready. Shut up. You'll never be ready. Never. Never, ever, 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 ever. Don't ever be ready. You're never going to be ready. It's called decision. You know what I love about God? He works like those doors at Walmart. You walk and they open. You don't have to push. You don't have to do anything. Boom, they just open. You're like, all right, all right. Most of you are like this. <laughs> Is it true or not? No, no, no. <laughs> but God is simply saying, let's walk. Let's walk this Christianity. You really want to do it? Actually do it. Let's quit talking and singing about it. Do that. Glorify God. But let's actually walk Christianity. And so this is what happened with us. We fasted for so long to, be, to make the decision we were to be a part of this church. And the Lord answered in such beautiful ways. that God, God spoke to Pastor Jorge, Pastor Laura in sync with us without us knowing what was happening. God worked everything in such an incredible way. But check this out. I looked all over. I don't think it was offered. It was Craigslist. I was trying to find used chairs. Like, where do I get chairs that are good and cushiony for X amount of dollars? Nowhere. Like, no, people would hang up on me. Like, uh, no, low baller. You know, and just, like, hang up. And there's this one place I found. They had exactly the amount of chairs we needed. Exact amount. And I said, okay. I'm going to pick up these chairs. And they're like, okay, good. This is the, the, the amount. And I was like, Ooh. you know, I was like, uh, yeah, no, I don't think I can do that. And then the guy was just like, well, yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, maybe you could take a few now and a few later. I was, no, I don't need a few now. Like, I need them all now. I said, I have this much money, but I can pick them up right now. And the guy, he heard, I guess he must have heard me distressed or something. And then he's like, all right, man, just come get them. I was like, yeah. So I rode this van up there, and then somebody, I think Eric, helped me with the truck. And we went and loaded all these vans. When I get there, I see this huge, magnanimous church. Like, it's beautiful. It's in Orange County. I was like, oh. And I look at these people, and I'm like, wow, this is cool. And I tell the guy, so whose church is this? He's like, oh, it's Jensen Franklin's. I was like, ooh. And those chairs are the chairs he began his ministry with. And I was like, hold on. You mean to tell me? That the one who inspired us to fast, to see we'll be the pastors of that church, we're now sitting on the church he began his ministry with. Can you give God a shout of praise really quick? Why do I tell you this crazy story? Not just because it's true, but because it's the way faith actually works. Just tell God, God, I actually want to do this, man. I, Lord, I don't know how you provide but I want to serve you. Like, I want to see people and see your wonder. I want to see people and expect the best. Even if they're, they're not showing it, even if they've been blind their whole lives, I want to see them as visionaries. Does that make sense? I want to see people with hope, with, with excitement. I know a lot of people don't witness, not because you're bad or because you hate people, because you just don't really believe in the restorative work of God truly. 
in their lives. Because if you did, and you had the solution to the cancer of their life, you would want to give it to them. You definitely would. I'm telling you, otherwise you're a jacked up person. But you probably just don't truly believe yet. Because your eyes are not fully spiritually open as Jesus' eyes. You still have very carnal eyes. And you see problems. And you see failures. And you see people sin. And their families sin. And, and you're like, hmm. And God's like, uh-uh. That's not what I see. I see something else, man. I see an opportunity for my works to be revealed. Let me finish with a verse. 2 Peter or 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9, is it? Mm, chosen royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9. Am I guessing? <laughs> I usually guess right. 1 Peter 2.9 on these. Can you guys open it? Those of you that have a Bible with you. 1 Peter 2.9. Woohoo! Is it? All right. Can someone read it for me, please? Not with so much excitement, Jared. You're going to knock us out. All right. Read it right. Let's go. You're reading the Word of God. Go ahead. Go. I'm just kidding. Aw, Jay, he's my first disciple. He's one of my first guys, so I could do that. Okay. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Woo! All right. So I, I just heard that you are special. I don't mean like you're special. I mean like you are special. Like God calls you his own special people, his, his possession, this beautiful people that it says that you're a royal priesthood. Girls, princesses, queens. You know, like God calls you and men, come on kings. You know what I mean? Like the Lord calls you royal priesthood. He calls you a holy nation set apart. He calls you people that are just incredible. He tells you all these things and then he tells you why. Why? So that you may announce, another version says proclaim the virtues, the greatness, the attributes of the one who called you from darkness into light. That is power in God. Most of you stumble in your Christian walk because you lack vision. Without vision and purpose, people lose restraint. That's what the word of God says. People perish without vision. Why do I say this? Because there's never been a stronger time in my life than when I'm focused. Focused. Oh, I think I can please everybody. At the end of the day, I can't. At some point or another, you won't like me. And I'm okay with that. So long as my Lord and I are okay. It's called focus. You cannot please the world. You cannot be a light that spreads throughout the whole world. Oh, man. But when you're focused on God and your sole desire is to bring the glory of God on earth, everything else is cake. I promise you, man. God will strengthen your marriage. He'll strengthen your, even your finances. God will provide resources when it's not just about you. Man, he'll bless us. He will bless you so much. Your ministry will flourish. Your relationships will strengthen. But we cannot live just culture Christianity anymore. Stand up with me for a second, please. The blind men were the 12. It's crazy that you can be so close to Jesus and still not see what he sees. Wild, isn't it? Then you can hang out with them, be with them. You could even be a pastor and still not see through the eyes of Christ. Man, what a scary thought. 
What a scary thought that you can be so close yet so far. The scary part about that is that he allowed that to happen in this person's life, the, the, the blindness. The Lord said, this guy will be blind for my glory, for my purpose. Please catch what I'm going to say and I hope, watch me for a second, please. I hope you don't misunderstand and you don't get upset, but I hope that you get it. We're excited when you hear this man, oh, he was blind and he saw in his eyes, ah, oh, awesome. What about this guy, though? He was blind his whole life. Ask him how happy he was to be blind. Ask him what it means to suffer and to not be able to look at your wife and your children and play sports like the other kids. Ask him what it felt like to be part of God's plan. Isn't it amazing how we look so much for comfort and not for his glory? This guy became part of my story, part of history at Montebello, 2018, 6701 East Olympic Boulevard. We're speaking of this man thousands of years back because he was part of God's plan. Not because he was comfortable, because he was awesome. You know all he was? I love this. I absolutely love this. Are you willing, though, to say, God, I want to be a part of your plan? Not the American dream, the God dream. Whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes. In this nation, we don't understand that because our desire is comfort. We live in the kingdom of comfort. But the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and you have to understand that. The kingdom of heaven is advancing. The kingdom of heaven is not filled with comfort. So many godly people have died before us. So this word can be in front of us. I know I met a man, the heavenly man, Brother Jung. I got to shake his hand and hug him. He suffered so much for the gospel, persecuted Church of China. I don't think he's any less holy or blessed than you and I. You know what he said? It's my blessing to suffer for Jesus. Talk about suffering. He was beaten. He was electrocuted. He was, man, he got so much. So many years in prison because he preached the gospel. And we sometimes cannot spend an hour sharing Jesus with someone. What's the difference, guys? It's a mindset. It's a mindset that says, Lord, use me for your glory. My resources, my lack of resources, my health or my lack of health, my strength, my weaknesses, use them for your glory. My singleness, come on now. Amen? Hey, my marriage, my children. My lack of children, I got a little more time. Use them for your glory. Amen? Use my car or my bicycle. Use them for your glory. Whatever it is that I have, use them for your glory, God. If you had and I had that mindset, what kind of church would we be? Man, what kind of people would we be? What kind of marriages would we have? If you say, my goal is to bring God's glory on this house. Honey, let's do this. You know what I'm saying? I want that. And I desire that for you as well. Close your eyes. Let's pray. And let's pray. <laughs> Dear God, I thank you so much because although we are all born with a purpose, I know that we're probably all born blind as well. But I pray that through your miraculous work, Holy Spirit, we can open our spiritual eyes and see that our troubles, our lives are meant for your glory, not for our pleasure. God, I thank you because there's so much joy in you when we do your will. I thank you because our strength in life doesn't come 
from what we can have, but the joy of the Lord will strengthen us. Just like it strengthened so many people that came before us, like the Apostle Paul, Peter, Stephen, John, these amazing men, Ruth, Esther, that pleasing God was their model. Pleasing God was their code. I thank you, God, because I know that in us, there's blindness, but today there's an opportunity for us to see spiritually, God. I pray that this church would open its eyes more than ever, God, and would realize the reason we do this vision of win souls and make disciples is not because we're good, to the contrary. It's because we're, we're opportunities for God's glory. I ask you, God, that you would shine on people's lives here. That if somebody here doesn't yet know you, that right now they can say, Lord, I want you more than ever. I want to give you my life and I want to give you my heart. Matter of fact, if you want to do that, tell Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. Change me, God. Make me the person you want me to be. I want to surrender myself to you, Lord. I accept your sacrifice at the cross. It should have been me. I thank you, Jesus, for suffering. I thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and resurrecting so that I can have eternal life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Now let me pray for you. Dear God, I pray that if anyone in this room has decided to follow you, that you take their words seriously. God, that you would help them, encourage them, that you put this gospel content in them, that they have been redeemed, renewed, and that they may be restored. That they would also have the gospel cause, that they understand that it's not just about them, but that is about a world that desperately needs you. That it was your cause to seek and to save that which was lost. Therefore, it is our cross as well. Dear God, I ask you that they won't just have the content, but that they would also have the community, Lord. That no one in here would ever be alone in their Christianity. That so long as they're a part of this church that's so imperfect, they can find strength and value. That someone can look at them and say, I see God's glory in you. I know we struggle, and we struggle together. But God, may this community provide strength that anyone who's a part of a cell group would feel at home. God, that they would be protected and cared for. That the leaders would grow in grace and wisdom, Lord. That we would be able to parent people, Lord, not just teach people, Lord. Thank you, God, so much for this incredible time, for allowing us to share your word. I pray for one last thing, God. If somebody in here came burdened, came tired, According to your scripture that says, come to me, all those who are tired and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Rest in the name of Jesus. I declare that God is in control in your life. That God has it all figured out. That before you came up with that problem, he already had the solution for it. That just as God provided for the chairs you sat on before I ever even prayed. Pastor Jensen had them for sale before I had the money. Let me tell you this. God has provided for your need according to his riches, which are in Christ Jesus. I believe wholeheartedly God has the answer. But don't forget about the second part of that verse. Now learn from me. Take up my yoke. For it is easy. It is light. You cannot, cannot think his burden is light if you don't come under the yoke of Jesus. Walk with him. Work with him. This is the time. Jesus, I thank you so much for your love and for your grace. I ask that you encourage everyone here to just go out and share your love with someone. That they would come to know you and that they care enough about their restoration to be involved. 
Thank you, Lord, for the people that are already in our lives, the leaders that have developed in this church, the men and the women that have decided to commit their lives to you. We thank you for them. We thank you because though they're not perfect, there's so many perfect attributes of you that we can learn from. Thank you, God, for this beautiful community. Continue to grow it and increase it to the thousands and the thousands and the thousands. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give God a shout of praise. Why not?